Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, we speak to Dr. Lucy Martin, who is a GP at Eve Hill Medical Practice in Dudley in the West Midlands. And the paper is titled, The Professional Resilience of Mid-Career GPs in the UK, a Qualitative Study. Now, a lot of the findings in this paper will resonate with listeners who are working in general practice just now. The pressures are intense and they were even before COVID. So the whole topic of resilience has become particularly important. And there seems to be this determination to try and make people as resilient as possible. But of course, it is generally a lot more complicated than that. And as the authors state in their paper, professional resilience in mid-career GPs is a widely discussed yet poorly understood concept. I started by asking Lucy to tell us a little bit more about resilience as a concept. I found it a very interesting subject for this particular reason, that resilience seems to be a, a word that is used a lot in um, all types of settings, but specifically with re- respect to medicine and GP careers in particular. So when I looked into this, there's a specific scientific definition of resilience, and there's still quite a lot of debate about what that means. I think from in summary from the, the literature on psychological resilience in particular in particular it's um, more about it being a dynamic process which changes over time and that feels intuitively right doesn't it that you could be resilient at different points in your life depending on what the influences might be at that time whether you know external to work or, or within work and the other the other aspect of that is that resilience is is quite a fluid thing so you could be resilient at work and not at home in your relationship, for example, or vice versa. You could be feeling very resilient at home, but absolutely terrible at work. So I think many people see resilience as a bit of a character trait, and the research is very much against that as as an idea. Okay. So this paper was really looking at mid-career GPs, but the aim was to kind of, was actually to find out how GPs do perceive professional resilience and the workplace factors that influence it. What led you to look at this, Lucy? I guess it's a bit of declaration of interest, isn't it? I'm I'm a mid-career GP. That's my kind of focus from that perspective. I think I've seen a lot of stuff around medical students and perhaps getting people into the profession. So looking at recruitment, I've seen a bit of work around preventing people from retiring early or attrition from the profession completely. But I think there seems to be a, a large group of us GPs that are working clinically quite merrily for 20 or 30 years in that mid-career without really any focus. And I think there's a, a bit of an assumption that we're all all right because we turn up to work day in, day out. And I felt that there was a bit of a dearth of of work done with that particular group. Yeah, so very much. I think you're right, a neglected group, perhaps. I and mean, It's very easy to concentrate on the extreme ends of careers, mm. the beginning and the um, close to retirement point. And there's an awful lot of this. And I, you know, I make my declaration of interest that I would be defined as a mid-career GP as well, I think, still at this point. It's quite a loose definition because yeah. I took it quite towards the the, end, the upper end of the 50s in terms of um, the sample size. But yeah, I think most of us would agree that we're in the middle of something, however long that may be. Yeah. So um, you should tell us a little bit about what you did, but let a brief overview of the method- methodology. But then it'd be, be interested to hear what you found. Okay, so the study was just done entirely in the first lockdown of the COVID um, pandemic. So I did it all on telephone and video. And this was a a group of GPs that were self-selected, really, through various different methods. Um, I developed an online consent and process so people could just access it from anywhere. 
and just put it out there really in in different all the different methods I had um, local colleagues local PCNs um, in, in the West Midlands where I'm from and then out on the social media so for people to share and, and distribute amongst their own groups so I got a good selection of people that came forward for that 27 interviews which is quite a high number for this type of research um, and enough to get a good uh, data saturation in the sample anyway. Yeah. So let, let, tell me, tell us a little bit about the key findings. So there was lots of rich data, really, and, and not not all of which I've published by any means. But um, I think there was some key stuff around how people perceive their resilience to be quite low at the moment. They have a link between certain aspects of their lives that increase resilience, but also that decrease resilience. And then there was quite a lot about the sort of work-related tactics that people were considering or enacting at that moment to improve their resilience. So the, the biggest significant finding, I suppose, in terms of us as a GP workforce is that almost all of the participants felt that the best way to prolong one's career and be resilient enough to get to retirement is to reduce their clinical working hours. So this is the sort of scary part, really, the bit that demonstrates that it's not just about not being able to find the five or 6,000 new GPs. It's actually trying to keep hold of the ones that we've got. And this is why this research is particularly topical, obviously. And, and GPs, have, we all know, have come in for a horrendous amount of um, negative press in mm. recent weeks and months. And one of these is this, one of the recurring themes, tropes, is that this kind of like GPs are moving to part-time work and your your research has explored that a little and tell us a little bit more about that aspect. Yeah I think I mean yes for whatever part-time work means these days I think we, there's a lot of retort isn't there that a three-day week GP is absolutely full-time and probably doing in excess of most people's full-time hours but um, I, what was interesting about this was that although GPs were reducing their clinical hours, they weren't reducing their working hours. They were going into other areas of work rather than choosing leisure. So I think perhaps that might be a surprising finding for some. They imagine GPs to be, uh, you know, the traditional um, the traditional one is the GP on the golf course, isn't it? But I think actually a lot of this is aimed at part-time working women in particular. So I think that they're picturing these women working working some of the week and then off the rest of the week with their kids, which I think is probably true in a lot of cases, but also in my participants in particular, everybody was off doing other stuff, portfolio work, education, working for other clinical roles that aren't general practice, non-clinical roles, management. And, you know, we know there are many and varied types of um, alternative careers for GPs available nowadays. Yeah, I think this, and I, I should declare that this plays right into my beliefs about this and sort of so confirmation bias that um, I think we've been getting this terribly wrong about referring to GPs as part-time for a little while now. And most GPs are reducing, it's not even clinical hours, it's clinical contact more than mm. anything. It's the contact thing that's key because that's, the, I think most of the evidence shows it's that's the, or the, the, the sustainable systems across Europe are the ones where there are a reasonable number of contacts in a day, mm. maybe 20, 25. Yeah. And actually, because some of these GPs, as you described, they're going into other clinical areas as well, but they're probably clinical areas which haven't got the intensity of general practice Indeed. clinics. And so in many ways, it's the context. But we keep saying that people are reducing hours and reducing part-time. But in fact, as you found here, they're, they're continuing to work in all sorts of different ways, continuing often to see patients, but they're just trying to find a way to get through the relentless number of contacts that general practice yes. in its kind of core kind of set now presents to us. 
Yeah, agreed. And it's 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 also the kind of associated work that goes with those contacts. So people really highlighted um, stuff around the demands of the job, um, the increased burden of administration, that kind of micro decision and macro decision making on a, a grand scale every single day, constant interruptions, all sorts of stuff. Um, things like um, overbearing regulation, um, repraisal and revalidation, and even the sort of a patient demand and patient culture as well, talking about how complaints heavy we are these days and a lot about the the culture of work as well as the quantity of work. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to touch on while we still have time. One of them is um, what you found about social media. I think that was quite an Mm -hmm. interesting little wrinkle. Tell us a little bit what your paper showed there. Yeah, this was a bit of a surprising finding because one of the interesting things that I'd thought about resilience before I did this study was how many... um, social media-based support networks there were springing up around on the the main social media platforms and and other places. And um, I hadn't really perceived what their value would be other than just supportive. And I think that's that's how they're badged. Um, Also, they may be there as a sort of substitute for the old-fashioned, more old-fashioned face-to-face support that we perhaps used to have time to give each other or, or work was set up so we could do that in a more formal face-to-face sort of way but the finding surprisingly was that a lot of people they found it a little bit counterproductive and many of the participants said that they felt unresilient by taking part in these support groups and the and the and the forums simply because it was another way of feeling inadequate or feeling that they weren't quite doing what other GPs were doing and if they didn't go along with the the narrative that those groups contained then they, they came away feeling quite despondent and and negative about the profession as a whole yeah yeah interesting Uh, and the other aspect of what i really asked you about was and i think it's an important one that many of the participants felt that resilience has just become another responsibility of the individual rather than of the system and it needed and i think that what you've written is you know needed time and energy and i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that as well because i think that's really important aspect of resilience that uh, as well that we, we should address yeah, I think you're right. And that was one of the things I'd gone into the research believing myself, really, that it seemed to be that uh, the onus is now on GPs to be more resilient, as if it was just something you could do, like, you know, buying a new coat or something. Um, but I think it, it seems to have just become a chore and another part of almost CPD that people need to prove that they can do, rather than addressing the core issue, which is that it is not a failing of the individual GP that they're not feeling resilient. It is actually probably a reflection of the fact that the demands of the job are pretty unmanageable for most GPs these days. Yeah, I mean, and again, I'll have to declare a a confirmation bias here that I'm firmly of the opinion that it's a deflection to put it on the individual. I've been of that opinion for a little while. So it's interesting to see that reflected a little bit in your study here, that it's just a reason to make it about the individual and not to address the system. And so it makes me moderately furious when that happens. Um, <laughs> um, I have to admit, um, it's a really interesting work. Any sort of final, any, you know, sort of how would you summarise what you found, Lucy, overall in terms of the main messages and how this, what we need to look at going forward as well? So I think the main thing to consider is looking at this group of mid-career GPs who are um, people who are working at the top of their game. They're very experienced and they've got a few years left at least of working to be done, but that they're reducing resilience means that they're going to be having much less clinical contact potentially with patients over the years. There's obviously a a knock-on effect to the whole health service and the the health of the nation as a result of that. I think I would appeal to 
leaders and you know people higher up in in NH- the NHS who um, distribute programs and and sort of diktats about people to improve their resilience. This is not something that people can just do as a. It's not a character trait. This is something that people ha- have as a fluid thing, and that it is very much involved by their uh, working environment and the, the work demands. Um, it's not simply something that people can put on, as I say, like a new coat. So that's very important. Um, I think that there's this other bit of the research that talks about the surface acting that GPs are pretending to be resilient when they're not feeling particularly resilient. So that's something that ought to be a bit of a warning bell, I think, to, to various people when thinking about their well-being of their workforce. And then regarding the social media side of things, perhaps some of those groups need to consider that they might not be as inclusive and supportive as they feel they are, or they may need to look at the way that they work. Lucy, that's incredibly uh, helpful, incredibly insightful, and a really important issue for everybody at the moment, uh, in particularly the light of everything that's happening. And um, the research has certainly offered some insights, further insights as well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.